Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. Today's cool fact of the day is that there's such a thing as placebo sleep. For real. <laughs> Study participants were told that a machine could determine how much REM sleep they had the night before, which was totally not true. They were making that up. And the people who were told that they got a lot of REM sleep did better on cognitive tests than those who were told had less REM sleep, which is way interesting. Today's podcast is going to be a really interesting one, I think, because our guest today is a lifelong farmer with a lot of connections to farmers in Central America, Russia, India, and the US. So sort of the global farming perspective and his name is Dan Kitteridge, and he's the founder and executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association. And back about seven years ago, he launched the Real Food Campaign to get farmers paying attention to making quality food to improve humanity rather than just making like the cheapest food. And the Bionutrient Food Association's objective is to apply bionutrient farm techniques to just change the food supply. In other words, Dan is a man after my own heart. This is so important. If your food is good, you will be good. And if your food is bad, no matter how much you want to be good, you're going to have a very hard time performing at the, thing, the levels you're capable of performing. 
So food quality matters so much more than food quantity, although they both matter. If you have no food or only one bite of food every day, you'll probably starve, even if it's really good food. So quality and quantity matter, but quality matters most. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Now, it looks like you are probably at a farm somewhere. You have a cool rock fireplace behind you. Where are you now? Uh, my kitchen table, actually. A kitchen table in what state? Uh, Massachusetts. Tell me a little bit about the, the BFA. What's your mission? What made you seven years ago, which is, by the way, very early in the overall scope of, of things, start talking about food quality with farmers? Just how did you get where you are? <laughs> Do you want the short, medium, or long answer? Uh, probably the medium. I mean, that, I'm medium. sure there'll be lots of things to talk about in there. Like you said, I grew up on an organic farm here in Massachusetts, and I got married about uh, 10, 11 years ago. And when we, uh, when I got married, I had no other viable skill sets to pay the bill besides farming. And um, the only model that I had was one that included a lot of a lot of work and not necessarily a lot of a lot of uh, lucre, um, not much profitability. And that was in large part due to, due to crops not flourishing. Um, so I started thinking a little bit about the rest of my life and how hard I wanted to work and whether organic was actually better if the plants were suffering due to infestation and disease, etc. Um, and started looking more into the literature of what's, what's there. Um, and, you know, guess what? <laughs> If you don't just look in the mainstream, there's a lot of really good information out there. Um, and um, started learning from the elders, going to conferences, going reading books, you know, taking courses, um, and practicing on my parents' farm and, and now my own farm. Um, and realized that if you create an environment where your plants are are getting what they need, they flourish. Um, and it's really not just plants, obviously; it's life in general that has certain basic needs. And so um, this fit in with some of my larger things I'd been working on in my 20s of consciousness and, you know, political revolution and um, the full the full gamut. Um, so it seemed to me uh, quite evident that if we didn't increase the nutri- nutritive quality of food um, in the food supply, that we would never be able to really achieve a lot of our other systemic objectives, whether they be um, carbon sequestration or, you know, um, systemic weakening of you know, agribusiness and, and pharmaceutical industry or increasing of consciousness. I think all, all these things are, are beautifully intertwined with soil and food. Um, so hopefully we have a chance to get into all that. But it just felt, and I mean, and the, and the last bit is that my parents actually uh, have for the past 35 years or so run an organic farming organization here in the Northeast called NOFA. Um, so I've got a background in the nonprofit world, and that just seemed like a natural way to take what I was doing on my own farm um, and, and bring it to a larger audience. I felt like if I had grown up on an organic farm and in the organic world and was still not really that good of a farmer, um, probably other farmers were, and other people trying to live this kind of lifestyle were struggling with the logistics of actually growing healthy plants. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a, there's a few, a few points in there we can... So the, this is maybe... Right, we, we talked about so many cool things, but this is maybe the, the, first, the first place to start, which is that the farmers have been crammed down. I, I, I actually went to school for a couple of years, to, to university for a couple of years, 
in the Central Valley in California, the, the farming area that's been hit by, by the drought. And all of my friends uh, who are farmers or ranchers out there uh, it, were just like, like lamenting the fact that, that you just couldn't make money growing almonds because then there's an almond processing board. You want to raise chickens or turkeys and you know, there's Tyson involved. And so they, they felt like you know, they, they were land rich, but barely making it paycheck to paycheck. And then one little bad thing happens, you, know, you accidentally spray yourself with Roundup and you get sick. And you, know, you, you can't work the farm, you can't afford to pay someone, and boom, you're, you're basically screwed and you lose the farm. So what happens when people switch to an organic high nutrient food kind of farming? Like what happens to the farmers personally or economically? Well, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a series of, series of components. Um, you know, we grow crops, vegetable crops on less than two acres. Um, we have our whole farm is about 24 acres. We have pastured poultry. We do uh, grass fed beef. Um, I think, you know, a big piece of the pro- problem for a lot of farmers is they don't realize at least most of the retail dollar they're selling into commodity markets. So, I think scale is an issue that has to be addressed. Um, obviously, value add. I mean, there's all these sort of rudimentary logistics that are, are pretty well documented. Um, I, I think but, our listeners, though, probably don't really understand. Like, like to the average listener, vegetables come from one of two places. If you're like hippie or a biohacker, you go to the farmer's market and you buy them from a guy. And you don't necessarily talk to the guy. Or you go to Whole Foods or, or you go to uh, your normal grocery store and you buy something that is like Mexican organic and you hope it's okay. So, like, there's a lot of those things that are very apparent to you and maybe somewhat to me, but but kind of walk yeah. me through, like, what happens to that carrot? Like, how did it get there? And what are well, the differences? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll use an example of potatoes because I think that's a great, you know, here from – in Maine, uh, we have uh, – it's called The County, which is Aroostook County. And there's a lot of potatoes grown in, in, in Aroostook County in Maine. And farmers get about six cents a pound for their potatoes. Six cents a pound. Yeah, that's, right. you know, that's, that's the price. Um, now, so, now, just hold on a second. What do potatoes cost? I don't eat potatoes, so I don't know. What do they I, cost in the grocery store? I don't buy them, but <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is that most farmers are, are operating in a commodity system. They're basically a, a cog in an industrial wheel. And so, you know, a piece of the puzzle for me is stepping out of that and being, you know, at a, at a, at a human scale, at a, at a, who is it? Schumacher, small is beautiful, um, you know, living... Uh, for me, it's not, you know, I don't want to be a farmer per se. I want to have a nice quality of life. And for me, a quality of life is one where I don't necessarily have to work for, answer to anybody. Um, I don't have to put on shoes in the morning. I get to play with my kids all day long. Um, I get to be in nature. Uh, so it's a, it's more of a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an overall overarching um, aspect. The root question you were asking was about, you know, what happens when people start growing healthy plants? And, and the answer is simply that you get more productivity, that you're, your production increases when your plants are healthy because they're not succumbing to infestation and disease. Um, and your, your cost of production goes down. So it costs you less to produce. So, you know, you can actually, you don't have to charge, you know, outrageous sums. You can have, you can have, you can meet the market price, um, in the grocery store or, you know, at the health food store. Um, you can, you can, but you're getting all that money that mostly is going to go to the middlemen. Um, the way the commodity system works is, you know, in Vermont, people grow lots of kale, for instance, and they, 
you know, they make it 25 cents a bunch for the kale or 50 cents a bunch for the kale. And in the grocery store, it costs you 250 or three bucks. I don't know what it costs, but most of that's going to go to the grocery store and the middleman, not to the farmer. So the, the middleman goes to like 20 farms. He buys all their kale, puts it into a semi truck and brings it to the grocery store and then marks it up some more. Who knows how many levels of, okay. of men there are, but you know, one aspect of, of my success, I think, or, you know, ability to work not very hard and make good money farming is, is to have relationships with my customers, not be to, not to be selling into a commodity system. So that's one of the problems with Central Valley and other major industrial regions, industrial ag regions, is they don't, they aren't necessarily working um, to sell directly to their customers. They're selling into industrial systems. But that's a, a tangent to the larger conversation, I think. Okay. Well, well I, I think for people listening, if you want to get bionutrient-rich food, one of the first steps is buy from a farmer rather than from a middleman or a grocer. Not Am I right about that? No? Okay. So no. You, you can still get I mean, so crap are, food from what, farmers. What is bionutrient for starters? You know, that's yeah. a term we coined out of thin air to refer to quality, uh, to refer to flavor and aroma and nutritive value, um, because there's a lot of labels out there that are you know, basically process labels, like organic is a process standard, um, biodynamic is a process standard, local is you know, it's logistical, but it has nothing to do with quality this right. per se. And as animals, we are, um, you know, we are evolved to discern in a, very, in a very sophisticated manner relative nutritive value because that's what makes something good for us, which gives us the, the vigor and the vitality to be resistant to disease, etc. And ideally to function at high levels of, of consciousness. So, um, yeah, I mean, as somebody who grew up in the organic movement, I'm, you know, happy to say, as, as literature seems to say, that there's a, um, not a major spectrum of variation between organic and you know, conventional as far as nutrition is concerned. Um, there is a, a major variation as far as, as toxic compounds are concerned, but um, you know, it's, not, it's not about less bad, it's about more good. Um, so we're trying to increase nutritive value, and that does interestingly correlate with flavor and aroma, and it certainly is much easier to have a tomato taste good if it was picked yesterday, ripe, rather than picked a week ago or two weeks ago, raw. Um, so, you know, local is probably better. Organic is probably better. Permaculture, biodynamic, et cetera, is probably better. But even within those, those realms, there's a pretty major spectrum. And what we're trying to focus yeah. on here is the actual nutritive value, the actual flavor, the aroma, the, you know, how good it is for you as opposed to how not bad it is for you. One of my, in fact, my, my favorite beef rancher uh, on the planet is um, uh, Glenn Elzinga from Alderspring, who's been a guest on the show. The guy's a, a former soil uh, biologist who became a rancher. And we talked about how the way he raises his grass-fed cattle, they walk around on, I think it's 100 square miles of rangeland, and the cows pick the specific tuft of grass that has the right nutrients for them. So cow yeah. A picks the right grass, cow B picks yeah. the right grass. And few people have had a chance to experience this, but if you live near a, uh, a really high-quality farmer's market, I, I used to go to the same farmer's market um, in, uh, in California for uh, just about every Sunday, and there's 100 vendors at least. So in season, there's 20 people selling peaches, and there's 20 people yeah. selling peas or whatever, exactly. and you could sample the different ones. And there's right. a very noticeable difference in flavor, exactly. quality, how long it lasts, whether it spoils quickly or it doesn't spoil yep. quickly, yep. And, and how you feel when you're done eating it. And after a while, yes. it, it takes like a year. You're like, you know what? 
like the the kohlrabi from that guy. Like those are the best kohlrabi. By the kohlrabi, if you don't know what they are, they're like you know what they are. But people listening don't. Yeah. They're like these weird root vegetables that are sort of like an underground it's not root. No, it's it's, it's somewhere. It's above it's a, the root. Oh, is it? It's like a, it's it, like a goiter. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like uh, you're eating like a, a cross between a turnip and broccoli. I, I don't know. I love kohlrabi. Yeah, it's right but, between the turnip and the broccoli. It's in the middle. It's in the stem. It's a big goiter in the stem. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so I didn't actually know it was a goiter, but that's cool. <laughs> Like it's functionally like like that, yeah. And the idea that there is a, a, a some difference, and just like you said, um, it, you say it's about consciousness. When you eat the right food that's sourced the right way and cooked the right way with the right kinds of fats, and you didn't damage the food by overcooking it or adding weird chemicals to it, you get a food high. And it's not like an opiate high; it's a food high that's like, wow, everything is running the way it could, and I have this like state of energy that I didn't have before. Yes. And it didn't come even from caffeine. Like it came from right. the food. Exactly. And, and I work to recreate that at the, the Bulletproof coffee shop. The, it does, we have a full restaurant menu in Santa Monica. Um, we're sourcing local, but I don't have a way. And, and this is important. This is my question for you. Okay. Back to the crux. Yes. I, I care greatly about this stuff. I talk about it all the time. I have chefs who will work with me and cooks and supply chain people, and we buy everything local and organic for the yeah. store. But I still don't have a way without going down there and personally knowing the farmers and tasting all the stuff in order to impart the knowledge that I have from being a food hacker to the people who purchase for the restaurant. So I know we make good stuff. I eat the food there. I know, but could I source slightly higher nutrient density vegetables without tens of thousands of dollars of lab testing? How could I do better? Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's really gets to the crux of the issue. Um, I mean, there's, it's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of pieces of the puzzle, but what we are, you know, working on, and it's a, it's a slow, but, but steady and, and deep process is discerning, you know, having the, the capacity to empirically discern relative quality. Um, so, I mean, what we're, you know, the, the sort of the fantasy vision here is that you can take something like a, like a pointer from a, you know, a, a um, PowerPoint presentation and you can flash it at a cucumber and they'll tell you relatively, you know, poor, average, good, excellent, or, you know, a carrot or a cucumber. Um, because those things, those compounds that correlate with flavor and nutrition are, you know, they're aromatic compounds, they're secondary metabolites, there's fancy names for them, terpenoids mm-hmm. and phenolics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they actually have, you know, different, you know, chemical structures and different physics vibrations. And if you flash a light and that light is tuned right, and that the meter that that you know bounces back is tuned right. It can tell you relatively this is a high quality cucumber. So um, our objective with the organization with the BFA is not to have a label, um, not to have a certification process, but to have an empirical metric, which is you know what is the science of quality, and can we give that to the consumer? Because um, you know for better or worse in today's day and age, money seems to talk and and. Um, most people seem to buy food, right? Most people don't grow their own food. Most people buy food. And a lot of people these days are getting sick. A lot of people go to doctors. A lot of people are on various pharmaceuticals um, because they're degenerating. They're breaking down. They're physiologically not functioning well. And that has, at the root of it, you know, food quality as the solution, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so if we can give consumers who care about their health and the health of their children and the health of their spouses, et cetera, the ability to test quality, in the grocery store, at the farmer's market, you know, between grocery stores, however yeah. they purchase their f- crops, I don't really care. But if we can give them the ability to, to test quality and look beyond the label and the marketing and all that, all that jazz to really empirically what's in and what's not in your food, 
Um, the idea is that that would have a dramatic effect on the food supply at large. Um, and I can go into that in great detail. I get really excited when I talk about it. But it's a holy grail of of <laughs> of chefs and of of people yeah. who care about their health because yeah. we talk about this. In fact, even 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 the government, the government's now in on you know paying for people's health care. If you want to solve true. degenerative diseases systemically, if you want to actually cure, I mean, it's going to bankrupt the government, right? I mean, it's not just it's not just foodies. It's it's down to you know some pretty powerful forces. I mean. It is powerful forces, but sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. No, I, 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 maybe I'm. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I'm not. But I can tell you in the in the U.S. <laughs> there's in the healthcare system. There's a lot of people making insane amounts of money through the government right. going bankrupt, and a lot of them are actually controlling the government uh, and all that. And the same thing goes. By the way, with I war, was, I was an activist for ten years. Yeah, before okay, I got that. it. When it comes to war and when it comes to medicine, like it's bankrupting the government and making a lot of people really wealthy as it happens, and those wealthy people are sort of laughing while it happens. So I'm not sure that the U.S. is properly set up to be incented to fix this, but places like Sweden, where the government actually does pay for healthcare uh, without enriching people um, to that extent, they're changing their national guidelines like around saturated fat and and, th- right. and things have happened there. But the the whole idea, even behind the recommendations I have in in the bulletproof diet, like like there's a spectrum, and it's like, look, you need to eat the right stuff, but you need to eat less of the bad stuff that's in the good stuff, and more of the good stuff that's in the good stuff. So food quality is really important, and avoiding all these pesticides and sprays and other toxins in food, yeah. that's the recipe for people who can think fully with their brain and can can live fully in in their body and emotions, and and that whole creative consciousness kind of power, it comes from food. It doesn't come from food that has chemicals on it that don't belong there that inhibit mitochondrial respiration or something, right? And and it's not like you can do just one of those things. You can be closer to perfect or further from perfect, but if you have nutrient-dense food that's coated in cyanide, it's actually not really okay, right? And our thought process as humans hasn't been like that because historically, this wasn't as big of a deal. Like we evolved to kind of eat the food that was near us, that was most available, that was most healthy. And now- As I, as I, as I yeah. understand it, um, a preponderance of our DNA is um, goes to the function of our nose and our tongue. Um, yep. You know, a bodily function, you know, reproduction, all this kind of stuff doesn't take much DNA. A lot of our DNA has is about you know the sophistication of our senses of smell and taste because that's so important to our overall function. Um, yeah. I mean, you probably are aware of that, but um, well, our, our, this is cool because you know, our listeners are always enjoying the conversation and. It's funny because even something, there's some really primordial sensing compounds, one called substance P, which is around uh, pain perception. Funny, it's activated by cayenne or capsaicin, you know, hot yeah. peppers and things like that. Right. It's the same in slugs. Like it's, it, it's one of the most primordial things in every <laughs> kind of animal out there because it was one of the most environmental sensing things. It yeah. also is tied to dramatic amounts of inflammation. You eat nutrient-dense foods without the wrong stuff in them, and you can affect the levels of substance P in your body. When those are high, your chances of neurodegeneration go up. When those are low, your chances of having a healthy nervous system go up. So you're like, wait a minute. Like Whether or not I get MS or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's is tied to the most primordial sensing compound ever that you could use to taste your vegetables. Right. Um, something that makes me laugh, though, is like, okay, we have this amazing array of, of equipment for sensing the environment around us. And now we're looking at making a laser to test the cucumber instead of just like taking a bite and being, you know, this cucumber it's sucks. Totally, it's totally, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's ironic at least. Um, 
But you know, the fact the fact is we've been dumbed down, and we, yeah. we have you know we have lost our our no we haven't we haven't lost them these senses we have not trained them we haven't yeah um, I mean it, what's what's still boggles my mind is that people don't like things like broccoli and beets and only when I go and eat store bought stuff do I understand why because they taste like crap right um, you know we do have the sensing techniques and peaches I mean buy a store bought peach they're gross and, and <laughs> they're repugnant right and then pick a peach off a tree that's ripe and you're like oh my god that's a revelatory experience so um, but I, I have yeah. to say when it comes to garbanzo beans like no one actually really likes garbanzo beans right like they, my wife makes a pretty <laughs> good hummus <laughs> but, well let's face it guacamole or hummus you know you're gonna eat the guacamole Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you buy if you buy a uh, you know what are those things avocado yeah. in a store here, you know in Massachusetts at least versus you know you're in India and you eat like an avocado just picked off the tree. Yeah, big difference. That's a totally trend. It's a totally different experience. The the, the the spectrum of variation in these crops is 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 major. Um, but anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. The quality of and the type of avocado. Yeah. We're, we were talking about food and, and consciousness and, and this idea of a laser that, that, that yeah. you put in your food. So I look to solve this problem with coffee because I was having a massive reaction to most coffees. I've lived in houses with toxic mold. Funny of which, this is a soil fungus that's normal in soil that has been yeah. amplified in its badness by spraying antifungal chemicals on farms. That's yeah. one of the reasons we have this indoor mold crisis where mold grows inside houses and gets people even sicker than it did 50 years ago. And one of the things that affected me personally. So I, I ran into this with coffee, and we actually do mass spectrometer testing on the coffee, which doesn't show some of the stuff that's in the coffee because of masking. And so I, I've looked really deeply at this, like, how do I affordably test coffee? Because I, I, like you, I dream of being able to walk into a coffee house, shine a laser at coffee beans, and be like, you know what? Those are clean. I'll drink those. And as it is now, I use laboratory testing that isn't mass spectrometer based for some of the toxins and mass spectrometry for other toxins. So how close are we to having the magic laser that says this is nutrient-dense food and it looks almost the same as this not nutrient-dense food? Are we years or decades away from this? Um, it's more of a question of money than time. Okay. Um, how many dollars away are we? <laughs> millions. I mean, you know, uh, less than hundreds of millions, probably, probably more than 10. Um, okay. So it could be decades. It could be two or three years. Um, you know, logistically, what we're doing on the back end uh, with the organization is, you know, we've done some rudimentary research projects, but what we really have to do is we have to establish a comprehensive data set for carrots and a comprehensive data set for cucumbers and tomatoes and everything else. What's the spectrum of variation? You know, minerals, um, you know, compounds, amino acids, proteins, secondary metabolites, and then what's the spectral signature of these things? Um, and then build a data set and then an algorithm and and program a program a gizmo. So, um, hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a question of logistics. We are, you know, as an organization, fairly young and fairly small, and that means we don't have the resources. So it's a question of, okay. you know, building the building the momentum and the relationships. I have to say one thing about the nutrient density term because it's one that I feel partly responsible for helping to popularize. You know, eight nine years ago, um, and I don't know when it happened. About five years ago, people started using the term nutrient density. Um, it's like organic. Organic used to mean <laughs> contains carbon. When I was in fourth grade, I told my science teacher that I was an organic farmer, and she said, what are you talking about? All farmers are organic farmers. Organic means contains carbon, you stupid child. And when I was in junior high or ninth grade, 
all of a sudden everybody knew what organic meant. Nutrient density already means something in food science. Then nothing to do with what people who are throwing the word around <laughs> are using it to mean. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just a little pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. I, um, I have actively stopped using the word for the past four or five years um, because it already means something, and that is nutrient density in food science means, um, you know, kale is more nutrient-dense than rice because kale has more, cal- has more nutrition per unit calorie on average than rice does. But kale, nutrient density of kale is considered to be the same regardless. Nutrient density of rice is considered to be the same regardless. So when the foodies who are on the cutting edge start, you know, bumping up against the food scientists, there's going to be a, um, you know, maybe some some tension. I don't, I mean, for me, that's why we created the term bionutrient, because we want to use a term that doesn't already exist and define it empirically so that we can actually come out with solid science that is irrefutable, that says this is higher quality than that, uh, more nutritious, more flavorful, more aromatic. I don't like to use buzzwords. Nutrient density is becoming a buzzword. I think that's really, um, it goes to fadism and sort of simplicity of thought. So I like to have it be more of a complicated conversation. Um, we're talking about nutrition and flavor and aroma, health-giving attribute, um, um, well, but anyway, so well, just let's, to say that. let's talk a little bit more about, about how screwed up nutrient density is, because I think a lot of people listening to this, this is an eye-opening conversation for them. Um, a while back, uh, one of the vegan authors of the radical low fat guys was, like, it's all about aggregate nutrient density. And, and what they're doing is they're looking, um, they're incorporating the water value of food in there. They're saying, so in, in this much of, of this thing, if you ignore water, there's this much nutrient if it was grown in soil. So they look at a table from 1950. On average. On average, right. Which doesn't average. Exactly. It's a fraudulent concept. So density index. You're talking about Joel Furman and foods? I am indeed. It it teaches you to eat foods with no energy in them, so you're constantly hungry, right? I don't know what else. I just know that about and, the average, which misses the point. Well, the, the average misses the point because the idea, well, there's two things. One is you'll be hungry all the time because the most nutrient-dense food ever is a handful of multivitamins. Like there's almost no yeah. calories and it's just vitamins. Of course, right. you'll starve to death if that's all you eat right. and your liver will shut down. So that's kind of a problem. So nutrient density doesn't work from that thing. And unless vegetables have been bestowed alchemical powers to generate minerals when there are none, you cannot say that this spinach has iron in it unless the soil had iron. So the fact that yeah. spinach a long time ago had iron in it when someone measured it in you know, UC Davis in 1965 doesn't right. mean that your spinach you're buying at the grocery store has any iron in it. In fact, the USDA data is categorical in this fact and says basically that average nutrient levels in crops have been decreasing since they've been documenting it for the past <laughs> 80 years. Yeah. Right. And, but most importantly, there is no aggregate that is, you know, I'm buying the aggregate bag of spinach. You're buying spinach, which is somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah. And if you can't discern that, then you don't really know what you're getting. Um, anyway, I think we're on the same page. We, here. we are. Right? But for people listening who say, I get all my, all my nutrients from my food. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't have any idea what's in your food. Is the, the God's honest truth. Even if you go to your farmer's market and you buy from the person with the most dreadlocks, it doesn't matter. You don't know well, what's in there. The question is, how does it taste? <laughs> yeah. If you buy organic carrots that taste mm-hmm. like soap, and are re- somewhat repugnant to you, that is your body telling you relative quality is crap, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's, it, it gets down. We don't, we don't need a meter. Yeah. Um, we only need a meter if we want to deal with an industry and agribusiness and the food supply writ large. I mean, I had this conversation with a guy at Whole Foods who was fairly high up a few years ago 
when I was talking to him about this gizmo, and and he said, you know, not a freaking chance that we're going to put any money into this to help you do it. But when you do get the money and you're well on the way to it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a heads up, we will tell all of our growers that they have to meet standard. Basically, what he said is, if you're when you know you're two years out from having this tool, come tell us. We'll tell all of our growers they have two years to meet standard, because they know the importance of this. They understand the importance of quality and nutrition, and they're happy to collaborate. So I think, you know, from a strategic standpoint, how do we, if we want to affect the food supply writ large, we want to affect consciousness writ large, we want to affect carbon sequestration, you know, agribusiness. I think, you know, we do have the power, we the people, yeah. with the money we spend buying food. But we need to be, you know, we need to have, have we need to use science and we need to use technology because those are the modes of the age um, to hide behind to facilitate our objectives. That's the basic pitch. It's a it's a powerful pitch. Now, have you looked at doing an X Prize about this? Are you familiar with the X Prize Foundation? Um, I am very open to collaboration and support. Um, All right. Yeah, I know there's lots of money out on the West Coast. Um, you know, various big, big money people and good ideas. Yeah, I, I, I um, yeah. I'll, I'll do my best to see uh, that Peter Diamandis uh, sees this. Um, I'm, it's about relationships. Yeah, it's, a, it's all about relationships. So if you know somebody, you know somebody. I'm more than happy to fly out there and have a conversation. Uh, so I, I will. Yeah. I'll make sure that that I get this into the idea thing. I, I know a lot of the innovation members for the X Prize board. Um, these are yeah. the guys who decide where the next X Prize will go. Like, like we just yeah. we just uh, had an X Prize come out for uh, education. Like, how do you make it so you can get basic numeracy and literacy for less than a hundred bucks uh, on a device that can teach kids with no adults present? Right, like that would change the world. So that's something that uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll help to promote this. Like, this is really important. Uh, so that's something that's happening. But this is the type of thing that prizes might be really helpful for. So. I, yeah. I, no promises there, but I will make sure that the, the people you. who make those decisions have this in their idea bucket list. And, <laughs> and, and if, and I'm sure that, that many, actually I know many of them will, will hear this interview. So and Thank there's you. that, and there's also crowdfunding because if it's a matter of $10 million, that's a lot for crowdfunding. But if you can get some progress with even a million bucks and then get more investors, there are lots yeah. of investors who would do something like this, uh, assuming that the science can happen in a, in a reasonable amount of time, and, and it, it might be, but it, this is a world-changing idea. We can go into the details of the labs we're working with and the PhDs that are organizing the research project. And I mean, we've been trying to keep a fairly low profile and let our actions speak louder than our words um, and build build the foundation of an organization and a, and a concept and a strategy more than go out and run after money and, and make a big hoo-ha. Um, I think we're in a place right now, actually, where we're you know willing to make more noise and start and start reaching out because we've got the people, we've got the staff, we've got the, the professional, you know, PhDs to do the job properly. Um, and we've got the labs to work with that are not charging us an arm and a leg. As you know about, you know, a, uh, you know, a phytochemical analysis for a carrot, it's like 400 bucks. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we, we spend a lot on <laughs> tests. It's a lot of money. That's only carrots. Yeah. We spend a lot on testing coffee and, and yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I, I have yeah. one, you know, one set of processing and really a set of growing techniques and, and it's it's really tough and there's other things I want to test that I can't yeah. test right now because then the coffee would be you know more than a dollar a pound more expensive, expensive. yeah, yeah. And, and, and consumers are willing to pay for a, a certain level of quality uh, yeah. but ideally it what you're talking about is essentially free you buy a device you put it at the grocery store so people can just use it and it the net cost per test approaches zero 
And what we're talking about here, I mean, ideally, so this is the logistics is, I mean, I have definitely been, you know, in, in, um, approached by people who are willing to put venture funding in. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is that they own it. And I mean, what we're trying to do with a nonprofit is to say this should be an open source data set. Um, this should not be proprietary. This should be transparent. And anybody who, you know, is curious or su- suspicious or critical or anything can look at it, can look at all the science, can look at the information. They don't have to trust us. They can actually do their own due diligence. Um, and anybody who wants to manufacture a tool, you know, here's a data set. If you can build a tool that can do it, um, go for it. We'll give you our, you know, our seal of approval. Um, we're talking about, you know, ideally, this is a couple hundred dollar gizmo. This is a, you know, the price of a smartphone. And, and, and really, ideally, a couple, couple generations down, version 2.0 or 3.0, it is an app that can be downloaded onto your smartphone, and your smartphone camera can take that picture um, Maybe it, as I understand the, the technology and logistics, it is entirely doable. Um, so, um, anyway, yes, it'll it'll happen. And there's, I thought we were talking to talk more about agronomy and how to actually build soil we, and grow up. Oh, we're, we we will talk <laughs> we'll talk about that. But but I mean, what yeah. we're talking about here is how do you how do you create disruption? How do you hack something that really needs hack, hacking? And when I, yeah. I put on my sort of venture capitalist hat. Uh, and I've worked on Sand Hill Road at, at Trinity Ventures, who are now backers of Bulletproof. There are lots, yeah, okay. lots of examples. Well, it, it wouldn't, but um, for people listening, probably some of them have heard of it. Um, there are lots of business models around open source where, okay, yeah. investors put money in, yet there is an open source data set. Anyone who wants to can yeah. build a widget. So there's probably a way. To get, I'm sure it can be done. I know it can yeah, be done. I, I think so too, and and it would yeah. it would be one of those world changing, really big things, which which is pretty exciting. Can so, I just can I, can I can I go into some of the implications, the world changing yeah, implications, just please. because I think it's important. Um, so just as I mean, because I I'm really a farmer, and and I'm not not, not a VC guy. Um, uh, my understanding is that every green leaf has what makes it green is chlorophyll, and what is in chlorophyll is a chloroplast. So every green leaf you see is full of chloroplasts. And what happens in a chloroplast is that carbon dioxide and water and sunlight are turned into sugar and oxygen. And in a healthy plant, one that's not fed soluble nutrients, not fed an NPK diet, whether organic or conventional, a healthy plant takes two-thirds of that sugar it manufactures and injects it into the soil to feed soil life because the soil life is the ones who can actually solubilize the soil get the copper and the zinc out of the soil, digest it into a protoplasmic form, and feed it to the plant. So foundations of how plants grow is they make sugar, they inject it into the soil to feed soil life, who then go out and you know solubilize the soil and feed it up to the plant. Um, and a corollary of that process is you're taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil. Um, my understanding is you can increase organic matter levels by a half a percent a year simply through growing plants, not adding compost, not bringing in mulch, simply growing healthy plants sequesters carbon. And if you were to apply that conceptually on the world's agricultural lands, we're talking like three or four years to sequester all the carbon that's been added to the atmosphere since 1750. Now, anybody who's got a problem with you know global warming, this is your answer, healthy food. Growing <laughs> crops, actually growing healthy food, not only is it good for you, it's actually good for the environment, systemically, deeply, profoundly. I'm not talking about the you know aquifers and the dead zones and 
not even talking about all that kind of stuff, but some of the more deeper systemic stuff. It really, it matters how we grow because one of the guests I was on, I think it might've even been um, Glenn from Alderspring was talking about how if you go to where they're growing uh, genetically modified corn and, and you yeah. scrape the soil, it, it's like sawdust. Like, like, like the, the top 12 inches, yeah. there is no life in that soil. Precisely. It's, it's just holding things up. So you're not getting the carbon sequestration from those you're actually crops. Burning off, you're burning off carbon and turning it into the atmosphere. My understanding is that there's more carbon in the atmosphere from agriculture than from, from burning hydrocarbons. <laughs> agriculture has burnt off the topsoil, which is primarily organic, you know, burnt off the organic matter and turned it into CO2 in the atmosphere. And that's what chemical farming does. Right. That is the... <laughs> did did you just say that vegans are responsible for global warming? I think I heard you say nothing, that. Nothing, nothing of the sort. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if you are eating high-quality garbanzo beans, you are helping sequester carbon. If you're eating low-quality garbanzo beans, you're helping burn off yeah. you know, the soil. That, that's it, a, it has everything to do with the quality of the crop, not the crop itself. It, it has to do with Cows, the quality of the crop. I, chickens, I, the whole thing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And, and one of the arguments that, that, that constantly happens in, in the blogosphere is I'm like, look, no. Grass-fed or don't eat it when it comes yes. to animals for exactly that reason. In addition to animal cruelty, in addition to supply chain and number of deaths per and calorie, health, for that matter. Oh yes. well, yeah, that whole living a long time thing is kind of important. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all of those reasons, and the same thing goes for your carrots. And, and that's one reason why I live on a, a thirty-two acre uh, organic farm, and it's not all a farm. In fact, it's only like half acre farm now. But uh, yeah. we grow all of the food it takes to feed my family on my property. Why? Because I think this is the best way I know of to live forever, and I'm still a half hour from an airport. <laughs> like, I'm not in the middle of nowhere, but I changed my life dramatically because my own research tells me this is the way to do it. And no, for most of my life, I haven't done it this way, but I've gone to the yeah. farmer's market, and I've intentionally focused on quality food and, yeah. and getting the best butter. Actually, it matters because it matters for the environment, and it matters for the way my brain works. And, and your children, if you've got children, right? I mean, you want them to, yeah. to be strong and intelligent and, and sentient, um, healthy, it, it, it's, it's foundational. The food they eat, is, it's, it's foundational, their function, I, I think. It, it, I mean, it's also, it's become apparent to me, my, my first book was about epigenetics, how the environment, oh. including food, affects yes, yes. multi-generations. And it was, what do you do as a human who wants to have healthy grandkids and healthy yes. children and smarter yes. kids? And there's 1,300 references in that book. And you know what? What you do now, or what you are capable of doing now, is in some meaningful part determined by the food your grandmother ate. Yes. <laughs> and when I Absolutely. look at what we've done to our food and what our grandkids are going to look like, the movie *Idiocracy* seems to be like a good model. And that's why we have you know epidemic levels of degenerative disease. We yeah. are we are we are devolving as a species because of the quality of our food. That's I mean you got a problem with the political debate. You have a problem with the with the low level of, you know, intelligence and the political debate. It's because there's a low level of intelligence, which is because we have a low quality of food. I think. I mean, for me, all these things are beautifully interrelated. They are. And 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 growing and eating high quality food is one of the most activist, radical, political, spiritual, economic, philosophical things you can do. You know, on a, on, a, on an actual, you know, a real <laughs> level. Okay. Uh, anyway. Now, now the, the slightly skeptical biohacker in me is going to say, all right, you and I are clearly in alignment. I eat the most badass food on the planet it, 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 as, <laughs> as far as I get. Like, like I do this by design. I pee in my own garden and I have the most expensive pee on the planet according to Men's Fitness this month. 
right? Because I take a lot of vitamins. So if some of the vitamins get washed out of my system, I don't care. I give them to the garden. Yeah. Well, we'll see. There, there's an argument about should you take we vitamins can, we can or not. Discuss that. That wasn't the point you're making. Yes. No, it, it wasn't. Um, and it, it it was that that if someone is out there you're saying, all right, I'm in a situation where I'm not going to get the most badass food on the planet because yeah. I can't afford it because I'm in a city because I'm yeah. traveling on and I'm on an airplane, whatever the deal is. Yes. It seems like you can take whole food concentrates, so-called superfoods, although a lot of those are full of garbage, um, or you could even take minerals, like specific chelated forms of minerals that have been uh, fermented or bound to amino acids and all the things you can do. You can take those as an insurance policy on top of your food and move the needle in the right direction. Okay. What do you think about that idea? Um, I think it's probably better to supplement your diet and and I think there's probably a bunch of good science out there and there's a lot of good companies providing you know high quality supplements um I think we evolved to eat food we did so um you know for me it's a question of the systemic supply chain and sure people have their crisis management strategies I don't think we belong in the cities in the first place um we don't don't think I think you know what's exciting to me is because it's getting so difficult out there with all the economic you know um logistics it's more and more feasible for people to buy five or 10 or 20 acres for 10 or $20,000 and um, set up their own operation. I mean, I, I travel around the country, the North, North America pretty much at this point, and give courses to growers about principles of biological systems. How do you intelligently work with the land to grow high-quality food and ideally make a living as well? Um, there's a lot of really inexpensive land in this country. There's a lot yeah. of and, and beautiful, beautiful, wonderful land. Um, now I think, you know, getting the hell out of the city is probably <laughs> not uh, a bad strategy. That, that may be too much yeah. of a jump, but um, it, it's not with depending on what your career is. It's not that big of a deal. So many big yeah. companies allow you to remotely work now. Uh, my yeah. my sister works for a big not company. That you want to work for a big company. But well, well, you know, a lot of people, a paycheck, health insurance, you got kids. Uh, there's nothing wrong with working for a big company. I, I did for 20 years, you know, startups, they keep getting bought. <laughs> and and really, the value of a paycheck you can buy the farm, literally. You, you can buy absolutely. the farm with your paycheck. No, no, absolutely. Great. It's and, a transition process. And my, my sister did that. Like She she yeah. works for a big company. She moved out of a big city. She lives in the middle of nowhere in Washington State with a, a farm and sheep and, and every other kind of animal you can think of. And, and she's happy as a clam. And yeah. and it's it's that kind of situation where... You can apply money to the problem, but most people listening to this, even if they're fantasizing about getting out of a city, um, unless they've reached some economic level of success to be able to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to change my career. I'm going to change my income level. I'm going to go and do something I know nothing about, which is run a farm. They're going to have to call you and learn how to do a farm or, or someone like you. Um, but for everyone, so let's, that's the 2 to 5% of people who listen right, to right, this. Right, right, right. That's, a, that's a probably a minority, even though – yeah. You know, two generations ago, 85% of people yeah. lived on the land. I don't see any reason why it can't happen again. But It, it is where I live. So I'm in a, they call it the Sun Belt. There's bananas that grow literally in Canada. There's bananas that grow two miles from my house. It's not yeah. that warm here, but it's pretty darn warm. It's very much like California during summer yeah. and winter. It doesn't freeze much. So um, I'm seeing a huge influx of, of very wealthy people from around the planet. Uh, even a lot of, of Chinese multimillionaires, they're yeah. saying, wait, there's a place where there's clean air, clean water, clean food, and I can get enough property to have a farm. I'm in. And then like, they're buying five to 20 acre plots. And it's yes. happening all over the country and all over the world. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the best investments you can make. But for all the people listening who aren't going to do that, which is the majority, 
what are they going to do this year? Like, like based on your knowledge, if, if you were sitting at home right now, what would you tell them to do? All right, so you've got to have high-quality food or like bad stuff's going to happen. And we don't have our, our laser spectrometers that are going to tell us what food is high-quality. What's like, like, give me the first couple steps that you should do just to, to take advantage of this knowledge. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, but I think in most cases, people are probably um, ingesting things that are, uh, you know, processed and preservative laden. And I think, you know, simple whole foods are, is a good foundational place. I think if you actually buy whole grains, brown rice in a 50 pound bag, or, you know, I mean, we're talking about garbanzo beans for some reason. Garbanzo beans. I think <laughs> I don't you know, like them. That's why. <laughs> a lot of those things um, you can, if you start with the raw ingredients, unprocessed. Um, you know, you can you can dramatically improve the quality of your of your nutritive um, inputs. Um, I, it's a whole life thing. I don't know that there's any simple one one answer. If you've got a backyard and you can play around on your two thousand square feet, you can grow a hell of a lot of food. I mean. If you if, if this is a fantasy that uh, that you have, you know, start practicing now. Um, you know, I don't. I mean, it, it depends entirely on the individual and yeah, their does. age and their you know you know their health and their other logistics. But um, all right, I don't see any reason why we don't begin to move more. It's it's. I think I think um, there's a lot of hype about technology and um, you know computers and connectedness and cyber stuff. I mean, I just, I think reality actually isn't that bad. Um, and if the more we can, you know, unplug from our screens and engage in the real world, um, it, it actually fulfills you deeply on multiple levels. And I think a positive state of mind is profoundly valuable. You can have a great diet and still be bitter and sour and you're <laughs> going to get sick. So it's, it's not just about the food. It's about your whole state of being. And I find taking my shoes off and playing in the dirt and you know, hanging out with my kids actually leaves me feeling better. Um, so I think it's a whole lifestyle thing. I think we're animals. I don't think we're you know these constructs of of um, you know mechanized society. I think we belong in nature. We belong. We belong outside um, in community in relationships. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not giving any kind of a good answer. It, it's a, those are reasonable answers. And, and I, I actually want to go in more into the cyber thing with you. And, and okay. I, I think I can predict your answer, but I, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. I, I, see aquapo- I see aquaponics happening. I see people talking about vertical gardens in cities. What's yep. your take on, okay, we're all growing pot in, in shipping containers now, um, commercially for medical use and all. Um, yeah. Should we be growing... Like, should, should I have LED lights and, and chemical inputs? Like, like can I grow nutrient-dense vegetables in a, a closed system in order to feed people in cities? I like soil. I like <laughs> plants. Um, how much money does it cost to build the infrastructure? I mean, I see these aquaponic systems and, yeah. these, and these, you know, you know farm-in-a-box things. I'm like, somebody is doing that, and they're pitching it, and they're selling it because they're making money off of it. Um, I can do that kind of production, you know, tenfold for fifteen percent of the of the investment, right? Um, I mean, right. I'm growing a lot of salad greens right now on my land. I'm selling, you know, probably eighty or hundred pounds of mescaline mix and arugula and spinach a week here in no- November in Massachusetts with um, no power, you know, no heat. Um, one, you know, a metal hoop with a layer of plastic over it. 
Um, it's called a hoop house. Yep, yep. I've got a few different hoop houses. So, uh, you know, I would say land is wealth. Land is, you know, is, is, is where you should be putting your money, not in all these fancy systems. I don't think it's a, I think it's a not a, not a wise use of money personally, but if you want to stay in the city and you want to do the vertical thing, I'm not going to say don't. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the most pragmatic solution. Uh, I don't think it really is solving the problems, the global problems. I'm not so much concerned about Americans per se, okay. um, really, because I think we're actually relatively comfortable. Yeah. I'm much more concerned about people in other countries and other, you know, the, it's now called the developing world, used to be called the third world, where people are starving to death. Um, and they're, they're literally leaving the land because the land is no, will no longer grow anything. Um, and I mean, if you're talking about hundreds of millions of people and quality of life for people, it's, you know, wealthy, you know, Western, you know, North American people is not my concern. It's really Asia and Africa and places like that, South America, Central America, places where people are really struggling and where the land is wearing out, is worn out, where the green revolution, where agriculture has historically just worn out the land. Um, we can do so much. We can do so much for so little money to transform this planet, to solve our systemic issues of poverty and global warming and, I mean, real serious, serious issues with um, an understanding of, of biological systems. What is life? How does it work? What does it need? Um, that's really more where the pitch and the strategy of the organization is, is how do we work to revitalize land? How do we work to you know, build soil and, and have all these other corollary benefits? And food quality is where we've been focusing you know, overtly because a lot of people these days buy food. And so if you want to reach to the larger audience to talk about food quality, um, but yeah. And end of the day, um, human performance and human consciousness is directly correlated with soil quality. And we've been just messing the soil up for a long time. So um, I, I fundamentally believe that. And, and a lot of yeah. the things that, that I do in my business and just in my personal life are around uh, making sure that, that at least for my family and for the people that are the people who I can influence, uh, yeah. that we start working to fix the problem. So we're in alignment yeah. there. And, and yeah. there's, there's a question, Dan, that I've, I've managed to ask almost every guest on Bulletproof Radio because we're up at the end of the interview. Yeah. And it's, uh, given all the stuff you know, not just about this, but your life's experience, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to be better at being human. This goes right to that consciousness thing that, that you've alluded to several times. Yeah. But I, I want to be better at everything I do. What are the three most important things I should know? Uh you want a short, a quick answer to a deep question? Um, At least three buckets. They don't have to be that short. But what is cool. what is a human? Um, I spent a couple, you know, a little over a year of my life in India, um, and a lot of that was up in the Himalayas um, because I had come across the wisdom of the East, which is, I think, a deep science um, metaphysics. You know, talks about other frequency ranges, not just which the, part. Plane. Which part of the Himalayas? Um, uh, the Indian, um, un, it's, it's, it used to be called Uttar Pradesh. Um, now it's, uh, Uttaranchal. Um, okay. um, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of Rishikesh. Um, um, basically the, the, the Ganges, you know, from the, from the Gangetic plain up. So the foothills of the Ganges and up into the uh, foothills of the Himalayas and up into the Himalayas, various ashrams. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask is I've been to the headwaters of the Ganges, uh, Mount Kailash, yeah. and spent some time in Nepal and Tibet and the Himalayas as well. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. just wondering if we were in the same spots, but we weren't. Anyway, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt your answer. The headwaters cool. of the Ganges is Gangotri. I've, I've, if you've been to Gangotri, I've been to Gangotri and Gangnani and awesome. all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that you know here in the West, we don't 
understand the science of consciousness. Yeah. Um, I think that you know reality, the universe. Um, you know, I think that God and nature and science and love are synonyms. Um, I think that you know there's two basic forces: there's love and there's fear. There's you know light and there's dark. There's attraction and impulsion, love and fear, um, and getting you know in tune with that and and humble about that and you know working to um, look within and and take yourself. Um, I mean, I think we're spirit incarnate. I think, I think, um, I mean, that's my, I, I, I just wasn't, I think, I, <laughs> I feel like I know that. Um, yeah. And so operating from that foundational precept um, of love being all there is, you know, I think Jesus was onto something. Um, I, you know, I think, I think Jesus said that the uh, body is the temple, um, that it's not about going to uh, a church or a, um, ashram or a temple or a, you know, whatever your name of your church is. Um, it's about, ex- you know, being present in this physical form and experiencing reality deeply on multiple levels through it. So, um, this is what I talk about with consciousness is I think we are hardwired with the capacity to experience multiple octaves, multiple frequency ranges. Um, we talk about the chakras and the meridians and all this kind of stuff, which is the science of the East. And, not just the liver and the gallbladder, um, but, you know, the heart chakra and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, 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 I started university as a music major. Um, I ended up with a history degree. But my understanding is from physics, you know, 20th century physics, quantum mechanics, is that most of reality is, is called – is either dark matter or dark energy. Most of reality can't be found in the physical plane. Um, and so if you want to be real about – about you know life and where we're at and everything we're interacting with, we have to take you know into consideration that most of reality is not on the physical plane. Um, and I think the you know we all of our tools, all of our microscopes, our telescopes, our um, all the tools we have are tuned in the physical plane, and that's why we can't find most of what we call dark matter and dark energy because it's not it's on a different frequency range. It's like the octaves in the piano keyboard. Um, you know, there's high C and high, high C and high, high, high C. Those octaves we can't experience with our tools in our Western science, but we do have a tool for experiencing them, and that is the body. And only when our body is vibrating harmoniously, only when it's coherent, um, can we experience those aspects of ourselves. So um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question at all. I, but, I, I think um, you did. Um, and um, I, I, I <laughs> it's appreciate like you're it. Done. But yeah, it just, I think, I think, uh, you know, being, I don't know. I mean, I don't maybe remember the exact question. What are was, three things you should do? Three things you should, or three things you should know um, if you want to perform better. And, and what you're talking about is, is the consciousness or spiritual side of performing better. Like you've got to, you got to know what you are and, and things like that. So I, only I when you're, you. only when you're grounded in your deeper self, can you be a better person? There you go. Uh, and, and, you know, your body is your tool for experiencing reality. And so, when your you know hormonal system is not working because you don't have the elements necessary to build your hormones in your body and your food, then you're biochemically imbalanced and you can't operate at a higher level. So you know eating good food that has a full spectrum of nutrition in it is foundational for system function. But um, if if you don't expand your perspective beyond the physical plane, I think you're never going to be fulfilled. Um, things like you know love, you know 
when you you don't know what love is until you experience it, and you're like, oh, 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 that's what they meant by love, <laughs> right? It's an experience. It's a visceral experience, um, and you know that's what the body's for is to help us experience and know um, reality. And I think the more in tune the body is, the less we're on pharmaceuticals, the less we're dulled down. Um, the more sensitivity we have, the, the the more we can be attuned, attuned to these things. So awesome. I'm not being very eloquent right now, but there's a few. No, there's a few I, I think I think people are really getting some value out of out of that. So th- thank you for sharing that. It's actually not the easiest question to answer, right? Just on the spot. Well, but. I feel like you're 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 done. The time's up, so I'm not. No, it's time to properly digress. I've, I've got a pretty good shtick, but it takes like at least ten minutes to. To lay it all out. Um, yeah, we are up on the end of the show, but uh, um, that, that's, a, that's a really good answer, and I appreciate you sharing it with me. Where can people find out more about your work, the Bionutrient Food Association, uh, maybe your technology, getting involved in that kind of stuff? Like, like what's the URL people should go to to, to it's download? It's bionutrient.org. It's a singular um, bio, bionutrient, just those two terms you know, put together. Dot um, org. Dot org. Yeah, we're a nonprofit educational organization. We're not a for-profit. We don't... Um, you know, uh, um, what we do primarily is courses for growers. You know, what is life? What is the biological system? How does life work? How do you work with it? How do you take your land, your soil, and identify what it needs and address it systemically? Um, it's really pretty rudimentary. It's pretty simple. Um, it's just not a heavy, you know, cost or effort. It's more about being able to view the land as a living organism. Um, as a you know, and, and it's and providing for it uh, what it needs to flourish. You can really do very little if, as long as you do the right things and stand back, and 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 life flourishes. Um, that's what's so exciting to me is so much of the of the land on the planet is is weak and worn and weathered, and it needs so little. You know, a little bit of copper there, some cover crops over here, some boron over there, a few small things at nominal cost, then you can really you know kick things into much higher gear. Um, so awesome. Thanks yeah. for, thanks for continuing uh, your good work. What you're doing really, really matters. And it's one of those things where the inputs here and the result is there and humans as a species are notoriously bad at correlating events that happen over long periods of time. And yeah. you've clearly dialed it in. It is about the soil end of the day. Just about everything we do is about the soil and you're working to fix it and, and give us tools so we can make better choices. And I appreciate that, that kind of work. I appreciate that kind of dedication. So, so thank you, Dan. Thank you very much for having me on and, and your work with uh, <laughs> spreading, spreading the word. So well, hopefully about a million people will download this over the next, uh, next month or so. So that's meaningful because getting that's a pretty big number. Yeah. <laughs> getting the knowledge out really, really matters. And I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're doing the incredible work that we just tried to summarize in just an hour. So for people interested, go to bionutrient.org and check it out. Have an awesome right. day, Dan. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, which I'm hoping you really did, that was a really great conversation, go ahead and buy better vegetables. (laughs) That'll actually make a difference, not just for how you feel and how you perform, but it makes a difference for everything that happens up the supply chain. And if you can buy better vegetables from the person who grew them, you're actually changing the economics for that person, which means they can do better things to make better soil. So do your very best. That's that's, uh, something that I do every day. And I don't only eat vegetables I grow. I eat vegetables that other people I know grow. And sometimes I even buy them from the store. But the idea is to do everything a little bit better. It doesn't have to be perfect. So take that knowledge, go out, do something cool with it. And while you're at it, go into iTunes and say, I liked this. Or share this on Facebook. 
The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.